The Boot Room. A new series looking at the ups and downs of professional football through the eyes of former players. So we're in the midst of the football season and we're diving in to interview four players, sometimes coaching now, but above all, leaders in the game who know the game inside out, top to bottom, upside down. My guest today, Wayne Jacobs, is currently assistant head coach at West Bromwich Albion in a championship to Darren Moore, the head coach. Jake's had a 20-year playing career. Yeah, 20 years, that's a long time. That is a long time. The average length of a career is six and a half seasons, by the way. He played for Sheffield Wednesday, his hometown club, Hull City, Rotherham. But most people will remember him, not to the detriment of those clubs, but they will remember him for his 11 years as a player at Bradford City and featuring Bradford City's meteoric and memorable rise into the Premier League at the turn of the millennium. After a 20-year career, uh, Wayne Jacobs carried on in football as assistant manager and coach to Halifax Town under Chris Wilder, who is now flying high with the United Sheffield boys and a, a great mate of Jake's from schoolboy days. So he worked with Chris Wilder. Then Stuart McCall, his old captain at uh, Bradford, asked him to come back as his assistant in 2007. In 2010, when Stuart moved on, Wayne took charge for a little while and then was assistant to the England manager, Peter Taylor until 2011. Uh, notwithstanding all that in football and being back in football at West Brom, in the meantime, he founded a charity called One in a Million out of Bradford City's old club shop. And it is an incredible work. It helps disadvantaged children in the city of Bradford and opened a free school in September 2013. Now, this is a work, my dear friend. Uh, this is a work. So, Jake's, that was a long introduction. Um, I'm just going to get you talking as soon as possible now because it's too much for me. Tell me about when your cruise ship snapped four and a half years into your career. Yeah, um, Hull City v Stoke City, the old Boothry Park. I'm a left back by trade. I mark a winger who spins inside me. Uh, there, Stoke player throws a ball over my head and I turn to chase and all of a sudden I'm in a, on the floor in a heap, crumpled uh, with searing pain going through my knee, uh, which was obviously to be diagnosed as a, a ruptured cruciate, anterior cruciate ligament. Um, absolute disaster, really. Well, back in the day, Jakes, not now, but back in the day, that was a career-ending injury, back, back in the day. At this point, you've made your debut at your boyhood club, Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, at the end of that first season, you had the option. You'd be a squad player, Nigel Worthington's left back, international footballer, others lined up behind him. Stay or go to the championship, get in the first team. So you're now three and a half years into your career at Hull at this point, and you've played regular championship football. Presumably, uh, when they released you, you've got enough games under your belt to know that you can cope with that, haven't you? Um, you'd, you'd like to think so, but it, obviously everything comes from experience and, and your life experiences, which were unfortunately for me growing up as a young man, was that everything that you loved and everything that you, were, you had a passion, desire for, relationship with, uh, got broken and disappeared. And to me at that time, this cruciate injury, travelling to Harley Street to meet a specialist who said to me, 
And the words still ring to me now. You may never play again. Uh, it was the end of the world, really, because tough, tough times growing up as a young man, uh, split parents, mum dying as a teenager. All those, you're living with all those emotions, all those fears and all those thoughts that just replay in your head is, you know, this is going now. And, and so those games that you've played are drenched and crowded out by those life experiences that shout louder than the games you've played. Jakes, what happened in, in that period? Because as would often happen again back in the day, perhaps a bit less now, the club's trying to get you back. They're trying to get you playing. They need you to play. They need to move you on and sell you if you're not going to be fit for purpose. You end up getting two weeks' notice and actually your last day at work is Christmas Eve. Yeah. What? How on earth did you cope in that halfway through the season? Because I know from your own words in another occasion I've talked to you, the drinking culture and indeed drinking behaviour actually was a danger to you at this point. Yeah, I think um, as you rightly point out there, back in those days, part of team spirit was to go out for a drink and the team go out for a drink and that was never in moderation. That always extended into what you would call a session, quote unquote, um, drink till you literally couldn't drink anymore, till you couldn't stand up, go home in the finish training, go out in the afternoon, go home in the early hours of the next morning. And that was a part of my life. Um, one that, um, unfortunately for me, coupled with some of the things I've just spoke about, family background issues, um, you know, they, they, were, they were days and weeks and just a part of your career. But the drink on top of disappointment on the top of it is never good. And as you rightly say there, um, on receiving the injury in the February, the club tried to get me to play before the end of the season, uh, just to show that I was fit because my contract had finished back then. There were no Bosnians, there were, there were no um, other mechanisms. The football club just wanted me off the wage bill because they thought I'm never going to get back to the standard I was. So they tried to rehabilitate me without, without the operation. And first day back in training, my knee just went again and they realised they had to have an operation. Unfortunately for the football club, that meant that they had to um, keep me and give me wages for an extra six months. So that took me from the summer to Christmas. And as you rightly say, getting called in and say to me, and I guess I was naive as a young person. I just thought the club would, would support me till I either could play again or I couldn't play. Uh, so right through that rehab, six months later, after an operation, they called me in. And they've done their duty of care in their eyes, what they have to do back then, what the Football League asks of them, which is they have to give me six months paid money. But I didn't realise that. So they call me in December and say, you've got two weeks' notice, Wayne, and that's it. And ironically, my last day's Christmas Eve. And as I've spoken earlier, um, some tough times as a young man, as a child growing up, some difficulties. And I'm back in that place with the only thing I've got because I've put all my eggs in this basket of football. Um, and again, not knowing how to deal with that. How did I deal with that? I, I, I was an angry young man growing up. Um, as I talked about there, I found drink, but it's part of the, the game back then as well. So um, drinking and anger, you know, that's, the, that's, that's, that's where I was uh, on the news and the journey that I was walking through. At this point, David Norton 
noughts is in your dressing room in these times at Hull. Uh, for the rest of that season, in due course, you end up training at Rotherham, live with your cousin, sell your house. Yeah. Um, then you play a full season at Rotherham. Uh, and then you go on to re- your 11 years at Bradford City. Now, I'll come back to touch on some of that in a moment, but I'm really interested now, and I'm interested for the sake of those who listen to us who get professional sport, lots of football people, but lots of other professional sports people. They can feel what you're describing now, where you think, I'm stuffed here. I'm 22, 23, I'm stuffed here. Um, why was Noughts such a light in the darkness at this point for you? Yeah, Noughts, as I explained there, the, the culture of training in the week, maybe always a Wednesday off, back then it was set, boys going out drinking on a Tuesday after training, drinking all afternoon, all night into early hours of Wednesday morning, sleeping all Wednesday and going back to training Thursday. And everybody in the dressing room going, or some of the senior pros dictating that everybody has to go. David at the time was somebody who really... Um, in a strong way, he was seen as strong that week. He used to say, I'm not going. He was the only one. He stood out. Uh, I'm not going. I'm going home to my wife. I'm, I don't want to spend my day off in bed and drink. I want to be with my wife. And that's the relationship that's really important to me. Uh, and so that Notts was different. It ended up where, through the injury, he was travelling up to Hull from Nottingham. I was back in Sheffield. And he was picking me up uh, once I'd got the injury to go in for, for treatment. And um, it was during a car journey that he picked me up and he just said to me, uh, I respect him Noughts for, for the strength that he'd shown him when he never went out and things. So I was close to Noughts and he, I don't, for whatever reason back then, I'll never know why, but he saw me as a, as a good man and he, and he liked me, but uh, he didn't see he, you know, all the stuff where I was off, wildly off the rails and things. But he, um, he picked me up one day in, in a car journey um, he himself had been through some things in his life as well. And he just, he just said to me on a car journey there, he said, that, he said Wayne, I, uh, I met somebody really interesting last night who prayed for me. I had an amazing feeling of peace on my life. And uh, I started to talk to him about you, and he was interested in meeting you. And because of Dave and how he'd been and how he'd been in the dressing room and what he'd modeled, I had a real... I had real time for Dave. I actually saw what he did as a strength. And, you know, he got to stick off everybody else for not going on those days out. And, and he took all that. And he took all that. And still, what I liked about Dave, on the football pitch, he was still up front and leading, even with that, what people thought was soft. Why are you not, why are you not coming out with the lads, sort of thing? It was a strength, obviously. And, and so I had a real respect for him. And, and when he had the, um, the care to say to me, I've spoken to somebody about you, Wayne. And, you know, they'd like to meet you. Uh, I, I said yes, mainly because I'd been out drinking and wanted him to be quiet, but I think because it was Noughts who was saying it as well, um, I said yes. And what happened? Yeah, so, so David had met uh, what now I know is a Christian man who prayed for him and he'd had a, a presence of the Holy Spirit, presence of Jesus just touched his life and he felt that peace and... So he'd offered that to me. He talked to me, he talked to this gentleman about myself, knowing the difficulties and the frustrations and the hurt and where I was with everything, with my world, literally, uh, without going too much into it, 
my contract was due up in the summer when I got injured, so I had no contract. I'd sold my house, couldn't get a mortgage now because I've got a plus knee. I'd lost everything. I'd lost relationships. I was literally living out of a, a back bedroom with a cousin. And um, and so David had seen all that. He'd also seen the anger in me and the hurt and the, the character that I'd become, um, but thankfully saw past some of it. But um, he just thought and knew that maybe what he'd experienced would be good for me. So he'd had the courage to step out and ask me if I would like to meet a person that who had really touched his life, obviously. And so he invited me to go. We went to, we drove, I said, yeah, we went eventually to meet the, the gentleman who we just mentioned. His name was Keith. Um, and it was a really interesting day because he picked me up to go to Hull. We'd been to Hull. I, I was having rehabilitation. I'd had operation by then. But obviously back then, at that point, during my rehabilitation, where I was on the journey, lots of stiffness, couldn't straighten my leg, couldn't get full range of movement, they call it ROM, couldn't, couldn't, put, my knee, couldn't put my knee straight when I stood up and I couldn't put my heel to my backside. And that's the full range of movement you need to be a, a professional athlete, obviously. Lots of soreness, lots of stiffness uh, in that knee. Uh, and so a car journey from Hull to Nottingham to David's house to grab a bit of food, onto the Midlands to meet Keith now. And we arrive on the estate. And I'll give you that background because you can imagine how my knee has been in a car for that length of time in a day. Uh, and I get out of the car and all of a sudden I start to think, why, why am I here? You know, all the dread and the doubts and the fears. Oh my gosh, what am I doing here? Some, some little man, and please forgive me for this, but stereotypical, some little geezer with a, a dog collar on will go, oh, hello. And his culture will be a million miles from my culture. He'll not get me. Ill. You know, I just thought, why have I come? Why on earth have I come? And uh, we knocked on the door and this gentleman answered a T-shirt, jeans, long, bit long hair, unshaven, been to work. And I just thought, wow, he looks, he looks quite normal, this guy. So in, in we go. In we go and I, and I meet a gentleman who would obviously prayed for David uh, before. And he just chatted to me about my life and asked me, he knew little bits what David sort of uh, enlightened him in and asked me about my life and he understood some of my past, some of the hurts from my childhood and, and into my teenage years and, uh, and where I was in my career and the injury. And he just said, do you mind if I pray for your knee? And he prayed for my knee and uh, I must admit, I was, you know, I was very open. I, try, I was one of those that try everything. And so it, it was no problem letting him pray for me. But once he was praying for me, I just thought, well, it's quite a bit warm, this, but that's just his hands. His hands are a bit hot, you know. <laughs> anyway, he said, stand up. And I stood up. And uh, as I say, I couldn't straighten my knee at the time without a physio trying to straighten it for an hour and ride a static bike and put weights on it and all that to get it to go straight. Uh, so the car journey, thinking, you know, so much stiffness in my knee. And he just said, no, straighten your leg weight after we pray. And uh, I looked down at my own leg. It was like an outer body. I looked at my own leg and I pushed, my leg just went straight when I stood up. And that, that just made me, wow. Wow, yeah, yeah. And so then he prayed for me, and I felt that same peace that David had explained. Just, you can imagine I went into that house with everything. It was a, you know, I was living, I couldn't see past a day or a week in front of me. I was so heavy, all the burdens off, and uh, that feeling of peace that just rested on me. It was just incredible. What's the time period from that first meeting with Keith and being prayed for 
yeah. and going through that experience, how did that unfold to an understanding of what God had done for you in Christ? How did that emerge? Well, I tried to explain a little bit about my background. Can I say that? Because, you know, you'd think I should have done, I should have grabbed it with two hands and run with it from, from the second he prayed for me. But that journey took a, a, probably another, um, well, it did take a year and a half from, from Keith praying to me, uh, playing at my local club where I was living then, Rotherham. Even then when I was back playing, I knew, I knew there and then when he prayed for me, I'll play again. Part of that healing was I knew I would play again. Even though I had to go through the process, I knew I was going to play. Um, and so I played for Rotherham and then um, during a year at Rotherham, I played in the, so I was released on the Christmas Eve. I went to Rotherham, I guess it was in the March it was, and I played for their reserves to the end of the season and they gave me a year's contract. I played a year for Rotherham. During that period, from signing for Rotherham in the summer, and the period previous of the reserves, um, I, was start, I started to travel to see Keith every six weeks to listen and to hear more about this Jesus Christ. And that was about a, an 18-month period, 15 to 18 months before I left Rotherham at the end of the season, came to Bradford, and in the first few weeks of pre-season and the start of that season is when I finally went, Lord, if you are real, I see you in all those people I've met since. If you're real, reveal yourself to me. And that's when I asked Christ into my life, really. Now, you're at Bradford. And I've, look, I've got a couple more stories that I want to get out of you because I want people who hear this podcast, already they've got the mark of the man who's Wayne Jacobs. you a humble man, great achiever, driver in life, humble but now I want to land at Bradford. We could spend forever on Bradford. So all I need to say, it's an 11-year window. And then you're the manager there as assistant manager, partly manager and assistant again. So huge. Uh, Rachel, you and the kids moved to Bradford, live in Bradford. Uh, and that's been your life. You go there. You go from what's now League One to the championship in 96. You then get into the Premier League remarkable they're constantly every year that you make progress you're watching left backs come into the club and who they're going to sign and who they're going to get and it keeps being jakes it keeps being jakes you see them off and then you go backwards the club goes backwards into administration a few years later and then yeah. it drops down to where you started out 11 years in so you've seen the when i say in this podcast we've got guests who've seen it all i mean you have seen every single angle from the Premier League down to the football conference when he went to Halifax's player and assistant manager. You've seen the whole show. I'm really interested now in a couple of Bradford stories in the light of being a Christian in the world of professional football. Here's a story I'd love to hear now. Uh, you're, you're captain of Bradford City. You're a seasoned pro. You're playing at the top level. You're speaking at a church in Wakefield and, and you say to Chris Kamara, your manager, do you fancy coming with me? And Cammy gave you the greatest encouragement about the influence of Christ in your life, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As you rightly say, Cammy, Cammy, I joined, when I joined Bradford, he was a player. So we, we got on in the dressing room. He, he came captain, as you rightly say, promoted in 96 under his Guys, after he took over that season, he got his promoted via Wembley. So great achievements. Um, the following year, we're in the championship. Chris has made me captain. And as you say, I'm speaking at an event, and it's round his corner. 
in Wakefield. So Chris comes to hear me speak and and I, and I talk at the event, give a little uh, testimony, and they get Chris up to talk about it. And he say to and he and he says during his speech, he said, uh, "Well, I've watched Wayne carefully, and and uh, becoming a Christian, I don't mind because it's not really affected him." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, we know what he means by that, right? He's yeah. basic. Am I right? He's basically saying, "Look, he's a really good pro, and nothing's changed about him being." Is that what he's saying? Do you think? Is that what it is? I think he's saying previous to not knowing anything about what I know about my faith now in Jesus Christ, he's which um, all that bunch of bit soft, and is he's weighing going to go soft? Is he going to lose his competitive edge? That's exactly what he's saying. So yeah. I fully understand why Chris said it. And I get what he says. Uh, yeah, that's, that's, his, that's what he was looking for. Is Wayne going to lose his edge? And is he not going to be as competitive? As he, is he going to lose his drive? Um, yeah, and is he, gonna, is he going to become soft? Uh, and, and I want to speak into that in just a minute because this is where it's gold dust uh, to have you on this podcast, Jakes. Because somehow anyone who's trying to work out the Christian faith would have that slight fear if they're an elite player or a coach, they'll have a slight fear that you will become, you know, Mr. Uh, no hair glasses, collar and slippers, just like me, Graeme Daniels. Uh, that, that's what you'll become. Um, and, and now we're really going to dig into the balancing act for these last few minutes of, of what this looks like. Right. So Kami says that you're his captain. You're a top level footballer. It certainly hasn't changed you as a competitive person, right? I know it hadn't changed you in one way because I know the story. Now, we can't name the clubs or the players, but I know the story when you're standing behind Stuart McCall coming out of your dressing room in that very narrow passageway at Bradford City when it's a must-win six-pointer, and we all know, don't we, that games are often won before you get on the pitch. And you had to swing your hook round, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. Um, as you rightly point out there, the psychological warfare, if you like, sometimes in the days gone by, always you start in those tight tunnels. And, and, and uh, yeah, this one particular time, our dressing room, you have to walk past the visitor's dressing room to get down the tunnel to the pitch. And as, we, as our dressing room door opened, uh, the opposition are in the, in the midst of the tunnel and they're, one of their players is uh, gesturing to Stuart and uh, I'm wanting to win the game there and there and the, there and then in the tunnel and Stuart walks up. Obviously, he can't back down. He's got to walk that way. He can't not go forward. Um, and if you don't go forward as a leader, we lose the game. We do lose the game there and then. But he goes forward and, um, yeah, he's over... The, the, the person in question is, is bigger physically and, you know, Stuart being Stuart, great leader, just walks straight on and faces it head on. But there's, there's, a, there's a bit of a, an impact and a collision in the tunnel. And obviously you just see your leader, somebody who you're behind and who you're passionate about and, and understand the situation and what's going on. And, and so unfortunately you get involved and you, as you, as you say, you sling a hook <laughs> no, but Jake, you, you throw a jab. You don't throw a, a haymaker, but you you just put you you're just trying to distract attention, and you, you're just letting them know. Listen, 
that's if it's going to be here, it's going to be here. If it's on the grass, it's on the grass. But we what we can't do is lose right now. Yeah, but but you know, I shouldn't be. I, I know. I know. In one sense, I know. Looking back, you're not proud that you had to do that. You're not showing off. It's me making you tell the story. But but every single elite athlete will get what's behind what you've just said. Psychologically, if your captain is cornered by one of the opposition and you and nobody can protect him and he is caught, you are in a position just to stick one round somebody's head and, and catch hold of the guy and say, stop it, stop it, weren't you? That's what you did. Yeah, my, my, my action was more to distract than to hurt. Mm. So mm. that's why I, I in, in the language that was being demonstrated at that time, and that's why I did it. Uh, mm. Of course, you know, it, it added to everything and the, the tunnel was an interesting and colourful place at the time, but that's where it was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you had a chat with a player about that since? No, I haven't actually. And uh, I've, I've thought about it many a times. As you do, you reflect. First of all, you, you always reflect on those situations, don't you? But it, but it is what it is. But I have to say, um, you know, going into that, that was a bit of my background growing up. And, you know, when I came to FIFA, there was always that. There always is of... What happens, Lord, if something like that happens? Because I, I can do that. I've got that in me, or you know, how happens? And you know, I was I was well into my faith by then, and just felt the Lord say, "Look, never ordain that, or never said great." But it would just I just had this peace that if anything like that did happen, the Lord, like He is, is with us through all situations, and would walk would walk me through, and I would walk through it daily, whatever I would have to deal with if I did something that was so. Uh, out of what you don't want to be doing, really. But at that point, I've, asked, I've often asked my quest, I've often asked myself, would I do it again? Because I knew the competitive nature of it, and I couldn't promise that I wouldn't. <laughs> but that's it. That's, uh, <laughs> hopefully, I that's why, you're, that's why you're on this podcast because you understand the balance there. Because now, for the last story, I wanted to ask you about. I mean, I could have asked scores, right? But now I'm contrasting them. So there's Cami saying, "Well, look, he hasn't gone soft." And he's my leader, and it's fine with me. And then I've just picked out a story that I know about you where something had to be done to make sure that your team was in the race and only you could intervene in that situation. And so you acted on it in the tunnel. I've got one more story, which almost gives the other, it does give the other end of what it is to be a Christian and an elite athlete. It's the soft-hearted end, but without losing the competitive drive. Back in the day, the pitches were sometimes muddy, even in the Premier League. Uh, you're injured. Uh, you're in the players' bar. And some hard-working person from the club says, we need one of the key players to come and do the half-time draw because somebody's won a holiday. And everybody else says, mate, I'm not going on there. Have you not seen my shoes? Have you not seen the shoes I'm wearing? You have a Premier League footballer. You're not having it. But of course, Jake scores out there. Jake, tell us what happened next. Yeah. As you say, uh, I would have been, I was one of them players, by the way, that would have had a swivel neck and blanked it. And I just felt a check inside me and say, this woman's just trying to do a job. You need to help her here. So I go out and... Uh, 
I got onto the middle of the pitch and it's for a half-time draw. And I've, I've gone out basically just out of that premise there that, you know, this lady's doing her best and every, all the lads are blanking. I'll do it. Come on, I'll do it. What's a muddy pair of shoes? So what? And I go out and it's one of, it's a, all of a sudden it turns into an amazing blessing and experience in my life because I've just gone out. I'm not even thinking beyond that. I'm asked to put my hand in the bucket, pull out a ticket, and they announced that this is for a holiday, you know, a substantial holiday. And you realize, oh, wow, it's a quite a good prize, this. And I pull this ticket out, and uh, they actually get the winner out of the crowd. And you could just see how much it means, this holiday is going to mean to this person. And, you know, I've got, I'm fighting tears. I'm tears. All of a sudden, I, I realize, wow, I've had the privilege of handing something to somebody, a life experience that I don't think, well, I know without, because the conversation after um, saying hello to them, that, that they've never had that experience. An absolute privilege to be able to give this person that experience and emotions, you know, tears down my face. And I realised and knew then, again, I say, as, I re as you reflect, as you do, I would have missed that experience 100%. I, would have, I was one of those. My neck, my neck would have turned in the players that I'm not going out. And I went out and not only did I go out, so thank you, Lord, for changing me in that sense to even be aware that somebody else has needed help, like the lady with the tickets. But to then actually feel that emotion of the woman who won the ticket. I was, I, I'd gone to such a hard place when I was growing up and the hurt and the anger and the, the distrust and all that. Um, I suddenly realised I've got the ability to cry again at something as little but as big as that. And that was so transforming for me that the Lord had gone to where, yeah, I can still be competitive, I can still be all those things because they can come out of a, an aggressive side of you still. But all of a sudden I've got this side now that is the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness. And the Lord's worked on my heart to where it's soft again and can actually feel, feel that woman's emotion on winning that ticket. And for me, it just showed me, I, I still remember thinking, Lord, you, you're opening my heart again. And that, Jake's, has been in so many ways, uh, though we have a few minutes when we do this podcast together. Um, I've been knowing you a long time. Uh, that's been the story of the way you've walked your life. Uh, it's been an incredible thing to watch uh, an elite footballer and a top-level coach and somebody who can run a school and a charity based on one in a million's work in Bradford for other children who've gone through the kind of disadvantages perhaps you'd have gone through as a child. It's, uh, it's quite an achievement and it's a great joy to have interviewed you. Uh, Jake's top man. Thank you very much indeed. I have to say, Graham, though, like all, I'm only part of those teams that are doing those things. I'm not. Yeah. Sums it up. Too much I've hyperbole. Always on, I've always been on teams, Graham. We all, we're always on teams. Yeah, well, I stand corrected. My, 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 end, my end to a podcast is always poor. And there you go. Wayne Jacobs absolutely nails it. All Christians should work in teams and we all need each other. Right, Jakes? Yeah. Yeah, top man.
Well, friends, thank you so much for listening to the Christians in Sport podcast. I feel like I'm back inside a dressing room when I have this kind of conversation, except that I was a bit of a bottler and I have never dived in, in the tunnel, ever. I'd have been at the back of the queue. That's a certainty. You can find out loads more interviews on the Christians in Sport podcast. Just go for any podcast app that you use and look for Christians in Sport. Particularly, though, if you're an elite athlete and you're listening to this, don't worry about whether you'd say you understand Christianity or not. As many of you do, I know, and many of you would say you're Christians, but loads of people listen to this who say, I'm not sure about this Christian thing. As you listen to Wayne Jacobs today, and you've got that kind of winning mindset, ask yourself, is there something bigger than me? How will I deal with injury, adversity? How will I be humble and kind as well as competitive? How will I hold my own with top-level coaches who want me to be a leader in the dressing room and I want to have authenticity and integrity? Well, that's what this podcast series is about. Uh, and we would like to help you if you want to think things, things through as an elite athlete or as a parent of a young elite athlete. Go to our website, christiansinsport.org.uk. Get hold of us there, and we'll do everything we can to help. Meanwhile, thanks for listening. Have a good one, and see you next time. The Boot Room. A new series looking at the ups and downs of professional football through the eyes of former players.